1 Timothy chapter 1, we read the first chapter, or half the first chapter this last time. We'll pick it up with verse 12 this morning. 1 Timothy 1, 12. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because He has regarded me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. Yet for this reason I was shown mercy, so that in me as the foremost Christ Jesus might demonstrate all his patience as an example for those who are going to believe upon Him for eternal life. Now to the King of ages, mortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected, suffered shipwreck in regards to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Father, we thank you for this morning that you've given us, woken us up, brought us here. Thank you for the, um, the privilege, uh, the gift it is to be able to come into a room early in the morning and know that you're surrounded by other like-minded men. Uh, who believe the same things, uh, who are after the same things, and who certainly love your Son, uh, Jesus. Lord, help us not to take that for granted, um, but to foster that, to sharpen one another, uh, and Lord, to help each other as we continue towards uh, the path that you've called us. Uh, Lord, be with us this morning and use your word to encourage, convict, comfort. And then, Father, we also pray that you would prepare us for what you have for us this weekend. Uh, Lord, that you would strengthen us as we sharpen one another, that you would strengthen us, Lord, as we sit under your word. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. All right, well, if you have your booklet, we are on series three, study four, bringing unity to a divided leadership. Uh, This is the kind of second part, so we're actually on page 60 at the very bottom. We covered last time the underlying basis for all of unity, some common causes, common wrong approaches, defensive aggression, and now we're going to look at principles for bringing unity to a divided leadership. So he begins with, at the bottom of page 60, Um, which I think is a really important principle that when there is division, whether that's in leadership or just within the church or your own relationships, we need to separate and know how to separate biblical principles from personal preferences. Uh, We need to know essentially what hills uh, to die on. He says, secondly, not everything in leadership, in the leadership of the church or in church in general, is a matter of clear biblical mandate. Uh, You can open up your Bibles to Romans uh, 14. It's an important passage to look at here. 
Uh, Romans 14, we won't read all of this chapter, but we'll, we'll read certainly a few verses. Uh, first starting in verses 1 through 4. Paul writes, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgments on opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. And we know that the vegetable eaters are weak, right? We understand this. Now, the one who eats must not view the one who does not eat with contempt. And the one who does not eat must not judge the one who eats, for God accepts him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And then jump down to verse 10. Read down to verse 13. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you view your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather judge this, not to put a stumbling block or offense before a brother. So Paul's dealing here with issues of conscience, uh, issues that are clearly uh, preferential, uh, scripture hasn't cl clearly made it an issue by which we need to divide over. Uh, and Paul is saying, even though you may have a good case in your own mind for why you would act the way that you're going to, why you're convinced in your conscience, you need to understand that the other person might be convinced in his mind um, as to why he needs to act the way that he does. He's convinced in his conscience, and we need to basically put that off to a later date, give that over to the Lord, and what he says is one day we're all going to stand before Christ. And he's going to set all of these things straight. And he's talking about the Bema seat of Christ. So he's not talking about the, the great white throne judgment uh, where all unbelievers are, are going to be separated and judged in that. He's talking about the judgment of believers uh, where what's good will be rewarded and, and what is not will be burned up. And so one day uh, God is going to make that clear. And Paul refers to that often. You can turn over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Uh, he says it again. Uh, there's obviously people that are judging him. He says in 4.4, I'm not conscious of, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I'm not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord, therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and make manifest the motives of the heart, and then each one's praise will come to him from God. So, again, I think Paul is talking about there the uh, Bema Seat of Christ, uh, the judgment where we will all appear before him as believers. Uh, he mentions it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, 5.9, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. And then he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so all of this, Paul is <clears throat> using that. This is theology, his understanding of end times to say there are some things that you need to be comfortable with waiting. You're not the one passing judgment. You don't have 
omniscient knowledge of the other man's mind and heart. And so we need to be comfortable in leaving those things uh, to the Lord. Uh, And so we operate off of theology when we do that. He says also here, where strong disagreements arise, godly leaders must go, or I've added must, must go to work, making clear distinctions between preferences and explicit or implicit principles which bind the conscience. Um, Basically, what he's saying in all of this is we need to know when there is a hill to die on and why, and when we just need to, to keep going on, keep walking. And I think one um, way we're going to know that is we have to get good at going to the Bible. Um, and so there are going to be issues of disagreement. Um, in fact, in our world right now, I would say that every issue is a polarizing issue. doesn't matter what it is. You're, you're on one side or the other. Um, and so there continues to be division in our world. But for us, we want to go back to the Bible and make sure we're dividing over the right things. Um, and sometimes these are clear in Scripture. That's an explicit principle. It's clearly stated. Uh, sometimes it might be something that's more implied. I mean, it is just an implied truth. It comes out of a uh, verse in the Bible that certainly is true. And so that may take a little more work to figure that out. Um, But at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we are dividing over things that are clearly stated in Scripture. He says that we need to model and teach James 1, 2-5, this kind of perspective, through every conflict. Which, what is that? James 1, 2-5, well, that's talking about trials. And what are trials for? Trials are to produce uh, endurance, steadfastness. Um, and so, uh, and then in verse 5, he, he talks about if any of you lacks wisdom, he must go to God, and, and God will give generously without reproach. And so I think what he's saying there is that trials can be tough, conflict can be tough, we, we don't like it, um, but we need to have the kind of understanding of, of knowing that God is doing something, that he's using this, he's teaching us, he's producing endurance, um, and we certainly need to go to God and ask for wisdom in the midst of it. Uh, trials test us. Uh, they're going to pull out things that, that shouldn't be there. They're going to reveal areas in our life where we clearly don't have uh, a good working understanding of biblical knowledge, and so we need to go to work in that. And so had the trial not come, we may not have done that. God has sent the trial. It must be good, so we need to embrace it and have that kind of attitude. This does not mean, uh, secondly here, uh, that you should be spoiling for a fight. And that you should be quarrelsome. Uh, in fact, First Timothy three three, as well as Second Timothy two twenty four, makes it clear that leaders are not to be quarrelsome. They're not to be pugnacious, um, <clears throat> which is to mean uh, spoiling, often looking for a fight. Rather, leaders are to be peacemakers. Now, that doesn't mean we're the kind of guys that just roll over at every conflict. We're the kind of people who actually move into a conflict, and, but the weapons we are bringing are the Word of God seeking to make uh, peace. And so that's an active kind of peacemaking, uh, not a passive kind of peacemaking. So we don't spoil for a fight. Now, he goes so far to say, and I would agree, if you have a, a man in a leadership position who seems to love to stir up strife, uh, he enjoys it, 
uh, then he needs to step away from leadership. There's a, a pride <clears throat> that is causing him uh, to do that. Uh, they do not meet the standards um, of Scripture in regards to the qualifications of leadership. And this is something we need to be careful of because this is all over the place. You can gain a major platform on social media uh, just by being quarrelsome. Um, and you don't even know who you're fighting with. You're, you're fighting with some guy out in his basement out there, right? And so we don't want to be that kind of person. We want to be the type of person who's seeking to bring peace, uh, who's seeking to bring godly clarity in a way uh, that is still gentle and kind and according uh, to Scripture. And so we want to run from the idea that we're just here to cause strife amongst people. Um, he says, on the other hand, this does not mean that we run at the sign of conflict. Uh, it says when they do that, they will not only miss the sanctifying grace of trials in their own life, but they will leave the sheep vulnerable to the enemy's schemes. Uh, and so this is a shepherd who loves his own comfort more than he loves serving the king and the king's sheep. Um, and so when a shepherd runs from the conflict, the conflict's still there. And again, it's just going to leave the sheep vulnerable to someone else to come in to inform them as to what they think uh, regarding the issue. A true shepherd will not do that. He'll get in the midst of it. He'll get dirty. He'll figure out what the issues are. Uh, he'll talk to both sides. He'll prepare for those meetings. Uh, and he'll seek to bring peace, even if that's going to bring a lot of discomfort uh, in his own life. And as dads, leaders in different areas, we understand that. Okay, We need to be the person who's front-running uh, when it comes to these kind of issues, not running away from the issue. Uh, this means we need to trust the promise of God. And he lists 1 Corinthians 10.13, so let's turn over there. This is a great promise. 1 Corinthians 10.13. And I don't think we often uh, think about this verse in this context, I think we use this verse in regards to uh, dealing with personal sin, uh, perhaps in our life, temptations, uh, but it certainly applies here too. We'll start in verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. And what's he saying there? Whatever this conflict is that you cannot figure out that's causing tension in your relationships, God has not given you the kind of temptation that should cause you to sin. And I think in conflicts, a lot of time it gets stirred up, our pride gets stirred up, our responses get stirred up. And we cannot blame the circumstance uh, for our sin. God has not given you something that's beyond your ability to walk in faithfulness. Um, and not only that, He's going to provide a way of escape. And that's a great promise for a conflict. There's a way out of this. There's a way for, and maybe the way out is just you walking faithfully through it. Not, not every conflict is going to end in peace. But you can at least find that way out of walking in faithfulness according to God's principles throughout the conflict. And so now this is certainly a great promise to take with us whenever we find ourselves at odds with anyone. And so, yeah, next time you're fighting with your wife, just quote this verse to her. 
<laughs> All right. Um, and then last, I think he's kind of already said this, but he says, use the trial to produce endurance. And so just keeping some of these scriptural principles in mind. Uh, maintain a focus on larger vision for ministry. Uh, and so conflicts have a tendency to kind of get us off track. And now we're over here fighting in the mud, and we've got all these other things that, that should be a priority. And so we want to keep the priority, the main thing, the main thing. So don't let it get you completely off track. Uh, the, the progress of the gospel, this is what Paul says in Philippians 1.12. We are striving side by side with one another for the sake of the gospel. And so this is what we want to do. It may be a conflict, but hey, there's a bigger thing at uh, stake here. Uh, that we need to be involved in. He says, encourage everyone involved in the conflict to participate in the solution. And, and this, I think, is something that um, is maybe not intuitive, um, but it's something that we need to think on. When you've got two people, two groups of people that are at odds, you can picture them kind of like at two different sides of the table. And they've all got their own notes, <clears throat> and they're all working on their thing. And I think the wise leader is going to seek to figure out how can I get us on both sides of the table working on the same problem? If you can do that, if you can use language that's not I and you and us, how can we figure this out? Hey, I see this to be the issue. What do you think the solution is? Okay, all right, well, there's something to that. Let me kind of tell you, let's see if we can figure this out together. If you can do that, now you've just basically thwarted Satan's plan. And now you've got two believers who have two different sets of gifts and understandings and weaknesses and all of that who are now being brought together to work on uh, something. And so we want to encourage everybody to be involved in the solution and not let it continue to do what our world does, which is polarize the issues. And now we're just creating straw men. We're not listening to one another. We're just framing their argument in the, the weakest possible way. We're responding to that. We're not listening to one another. No, get on the same side of the table and talk to one another. Um, examine your own heart. Use your spiritual gifts um, and go towards the same outcome. Short-term and long-term goals so that everyone can envision the fruitful outcome. Um, so, you know, some short-term goals, you, you might think, okay, I understand this is this right here is a major issue, but how about in the short term, let's me and you make a commitment uh, that we're going to love one another, that we're going to be kind to one another, we're going to be gentle with one another, we're going to believe the best about one another. Um, hey, also, how about let's me and you, uh, we're in leadership together, and, and so let's remember we got a lot of people watching us. Let's set a good example together. Now, what have you done? You haven't solved the issue, but you've at least set some groundwork that's maybe refocused things in the short term that you've got to remember. And once we've laid that out, well, now maybe we've got a path that we can work together in a kind way, in a biblical way, to work on that bigger issue, whatever that is. So set some short-term, long-term goals and help to get towards a fruitful outcome. He says all of this forces diligent study, for clear art articulation of principles which drive uh, solutions. Um, basically, conflicts present opportunities for learning. Um, learning about yourself, uh, learning about how people operate, 
in learning more about God and His Word. And so you want to let the Word of God do that in your life. It provides opportunity for clear communication to the sheep. Whoever you're leading, what you are learning, you're going to communicate to them. And so that's certainly a good thing as well. He says, build compassion for those who are driven away by friction. In a conflict, especially if it's a major conflict, you're going to have people who who leave. Um, And maybe they don't understand. Maybe they've got caught up in an issue. Maybe they're on a different side of the issue, but they're going to, to leave. And so you want to have compassion for them. Don't automatically label them the enemy. Um, and even if you did, we're called to love our enemies. A better way would be to have pity for them. <laughs> and, and so that's where you want to put them. He says a wilderness is sometimes needed for those who depart. And so perhaps when they're out, one of the things you can be praying is, is Father, you know, as they're having a, a tough time out there, they're, they're away from church or whatever, um, just help to, to bring to them the understanding of how much they need you how much they need your word, how much they need the church. In, in other words, God can teach them out there more than they would learn in here in certain kind of situations. So pray according to those lines. Recognizing this helps guard against bitterness by challenging leaders to love the unlovely. Um, there is a great tendency to become bitter and harden towards people, and you don't want to let that happen. You want to continue to build love in your heart uh, for people, even when they disagree uh, with you. 2 Timothy 2.24, Paul writes to Timothy, And the Lord's slave must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, which, by the way, able to teach there, that's in a context that's saying able to teach those who disagree with you, who you're in conflict with. Um, that's a good teacher. That's extremely hard to do. How do you teach people uh, who don't agree with you, you know, right? So able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness. Here's one way you do it. Correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may give them repentance, leading to the full knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So I think the point is, we want to be a part of that process as God seeks to rescue people. We don't want to be the person who's driving them further away or who's closing the door as they leave kind of thing, putting a sign that says never come back. Uh, We want to learn how do we reach people that are in opposition, uh, who don't like me or whatever it may be, um, and keep that kind of attitude. Um, he says, work hard at defining and maintaining unanimity within leadership. You just want to be asking, what is true unity and what isn't true unity? Um, what does biblical unity look like? And we want to make sure we're unifying around the correct things and not having some kind of false unity uh, that kills the truth in the midst of that. Um, this is going to be spirit-led humility and deference on all preferences. You want to give your preference. It's not about you. You're putting others before yourself, as Philippians 2 says. Sometimes this will require us to admonish, discipline the wayward. And this is Matthew 18, 15. 
um, church discipline process that begins with that. You may have a brother that sins, you need to go to him, and so there is going to be some admonishment uh, that happens. This may be as a result of sin, or it may be false doctrine. Uh, any true leader is going to have to, to do that. You're also going to want to maintain open access to those who are under your leadership. And, and I think what he's referring to here is in conflict, in leadership, there can be a, a real tendency just to say, you know what, I've got it, here's the solution. I'm just going to build walls around myself, and then I won't ever get hurt. Um, and you don't want to do that. And You want to continue to get dirty with the sheep. You are a sheep yourself. You need other people. Um, and so whatever it is before, maybe before you were this kind of person who just had everybody over to your house and you loved everybody as much as you can, and then one of those persons hurts you really badly and you said, no more, I'm done with that. That's the natural response. You want to do something that's much different. And that's supernaturally, at the end of the day, God is your protection. Okay, and people are going to hurt you. But it was never about getting your self-worth from people. Um, Christ was hurt. And so it's not about doing it for the benefit or not getting hurt. It's about serving Christ. So if serving Christ before meant I'm having people over to my house, I'm going to serve them, then serving Christ after means that too. And so don't build walls around you and your family. Yes, be wise. Um, but continue to serve Christ as he's called you to. Consistently develop wise leadership for the next generation. Uh, we've got work to do, and so don't neglect discipleship. Uh, exercise prudent forethought in regards to significant ministry uh, changes. A conflict may cause you to think, hey, I need to change this or, th or that, Okay, but we need to think carefully about that. Biblical Christians are learning how to be peacemakers. Uh, some of the things that we've already covered, but we just need to be thinking in the midst of every conflict before and after, hey, how can I learn to become a better peacemaker? Uh, what are some of the strategies, the words that I'm using? Uh, how can I change and do things more biblically um, and aim at peace as he has called me to? Uh, how can I be a better doctor in diagnosing the root cause of a lack of peace? Sometimes the conflict keeps going because nobody can actually identify what the true root of it is. And so we're just dealing with the branches. We're cutting off the branches, but the root's still there, and it's still causing bad fruit to grow. And so you want to get better at diagnosing what is the true problem. And I would say you're going to have a tendency to want to diagnose everybody else. It'd be best to first diagnose your own heart. That's what Christ says. Uh, and so get the log out of your own eye first. This is going to be extremely hard work to do this, but this is what we're called to do. Principles, oh sorry, I'm, I'm way behind here. Principles for being a peacemaker in conflict is number six, page 62. One, Christ is Lord of the conscience. You're not Lord of someone else's conscience, Christ is. And so again, if this is something that's more preferential, then you need to be thankful that someone is following their conscience. We don't want to go against that. Now, that is a great thing. Um, two, tension can be good for our own heart. And so there can be tension, there can be disagreements, but this can drive us uh, to the Lord and expose our own weaknesses, and that is good. Open up the Bible early in, in any conflict. And so don't just continue to argue about opinions, desires, preferences, 
open up your Bible, have a commitment to do that early on. Be haunted to be precise with God's Word and our speech. When there's a conflict, be slow to speak. Be biblical in your speech. Uh, you, you type up a text, erase it. Do it again. <laughs> uh, learn what's going to bring peace. Um, iron sharpens iron. How does this happen? He says, with collision, friction, sparks. So maybe this is one of the things that's happening. Uh, he's sharpening you. Uh, you were dull and you needed to be sharpened. He brought this into your life. Conflict provides a challenge for my greater good and for my endurance and growing in peacemaking stretches humility. Stretches humility. Um, one of the things I have here is an opportunity to appreciate God's ability to use all things for good. Um, and, and I was just having this conversation with someone uh, the other day in my family and <clears throat> just brought up how this is something that they have seen that didn't, they didn't see before and how a conflict has taught them to see that God does use all things for good. And so we want to keep that in mind. Uh, last thing, you don't have this in your book, but I just wanted to add just a few notes. This is Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices of Unity. And I'm just going to read what Thomas Brooks has here because he has a chapter in his book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, all about disunity. And he's got some, some gold here. First is this, it's better to dwell on the saints' graces rather than on their weaknesses and infirmities. In a conflict, we're often thinking about the worst of people. He says, instead, dwell on the best of people. Love and union best promote safety and security. Uh, and so, hey, this is what we need to be working for. This is best. This is what promotes this. Now, God commands and requires the saints to love one another. This is a command. We've got to get to work in regards to this thing. It's better to eye the things in which saints agree, and, and I'll put this up on group me later just um, so you don't have to copy real quick, rather than those things wherein they differ. And so you might say to yourself, okay, what, what are some things that we agree on? And those things might be extremely important things. Uh, we agree that Christ is Lord, that He is Savior. We agree that the Bible is sufficient. and there all, I mean, these are all great things, and we need to dwell on that. Uh, God is the God of peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. In the Spirit, the Spirit of Peace. Uh, peace is highly valued in the Trinity. It is needful for the saints to make more care and conscience of maintaining their peace with God. And so unity with the saints is needful for maintaining peace with God. It is needful to dwell much upon the relationship and union of the people of God. Discord is productive of miseries. Um, and so he goes on to say, dwell on those miseries to avoid discord. It is good and honorable to be the first in seeking peace and uh, reconciliation. And so you're in a conflict, okay, well, I'm, he's got to come to me, she's got to come to me, whatever it is. He's saying, no, it's actually best to be the first to go. And so you be the first to go. Saints should agree well together, making the word the only touchstone and judge of their words and actions. 
And then saints should be much, in the midst of a conflict, in self-judging. And last, that saints should labor to be clothed with humility. Um, I, I think if we could just put some of these principles in place, a lot of our conflicts uh, would start to go away pretty quickly. So I'll put this up on GroupMe as well. Let me pray for us, and then we've got some questions. Father, we thank you for the morning. Lord, we pray that these wouldn't just be abstract thoughts, uh, principles that are out there, but that these would be principles that we take home, uh, that we use within our own family, our own different uh, leadership positions, um, to live in such a way that would be most pleasing to you. Uh, Father, we don't want to run from conflict. Uh, we don't want to revel in conflict, but we certainly want to be the kind of men who make peace in the midst of it, biblical peace, Christ-like peace. Uh, so, Father, help us in that. Continue to teach us. Give us the wisdom that we know that you will provide as we go to you uh, so that we might please you um, and be more like Christ. We pray this in his great name. Amen.